This morning, we, we want to just kind of take a moment to, to process a, a little bit of who we are as a church and where we are as a church. And I trust you see that whether you call Mission Point home or you don't call Mission Point home, that this will apply to you in some way or um, Another. When this church launched, there were a number of key passages of Scripture uh, that really influenced and informed who we were and who we wanted to be as a church. There are these passages of Scripture that are pretty much encoded into our DNA and they are woven into the fabric of who we are as a church. And uh, this morning we want to look at one of those uh, key passages just as a way of kind of saying, hey, as 2020 starts to move on, where are we? Uh, how are we doing in light of who we believe we've been called to be as a church? Where are we at? And as an individual, where are you um, at? Now, by looking at your faces, I can tell you deeply, deeply care about my personal story and upbringing. So I'm going to tell you a little bit uh, about my educational background, just scintillating conversation. But um, where I grew up, our school was done a little bit differently than it's done around here. And even up here talking about it, I feel anxiety and like hives and all kinds of strange flashbacks. Um, little PTSD I'm experiencing right now. But here's how school worked. Um, elementary school was seven grades. It was grades one through seven. That was elementary school. And uh, during your elementary school years, um, you would learn all manner of things from social studies to geography to science to math to English and all kinds of different things. And um, at the end of your seventh grade year, you would take a comprehensive final exam. That could include anything you had learned during those seven years. Any and everything was up for grabs and could show up on this comprehensive final exam. And the way the final exam worked, it was a pass or fail exam. If you passed, you proved that you qualified to move on to high school. If you failed... You were done unless you had enough connections, in which case you were able to retake seventh grade. <laughs> uh, when I was in seventh grade, there, there were some folks who had a lot of connections. No kidding. There was a kid who was like 18 in my class. I'm like, what, sir? Um, if you happen to be one of those who made it into high school, high school was five years, broken into two sections, the first two years and the last three years. And yeah, you better believe it, after the first two years, you would take a comprehensive final exam that could include anything you had learned in all nine years of your schooling. So you better know everything. And yes, you better believe it, it was a pass-fail exam. If you passed that exam, you moved on to 10th grade. If you failed that exam... You were done, unless, of course, you had enough connections, in which case you could retake your ninth grade year. For those who managed to pass and go to the 10th grade, it would just continue. That is why the anxiety and the hives are, are starting to break out. If you got to your 12th grade year, you took the mother of all finals. It was the comprehensive exam that could include anything you had ever learned up to that point. And you 
better believe pass fail. If you pass that exam, you qualified and you were eligible to go to college or university. If you failed that exam, you were done. Or if you had enough connections, you were able to take 12th grade again. It was rough, man. And as the years went by, you could see like it would just kind of whittle out. It would just thin out the herd a little bit as the numbers started to, to, to dwindle. Um, and part of that was the limited education opportunities, especially after high school. So they had to really thin things out. It was rough. And even as I think about these comprehensive exams, I feel a little anxiety. So I'm going to move on from that. But did you know? Um, that, that we are going to have to take a comprehensive final. As I thought about my educational upbringing, it, it, it reminded me of one of the, the key passages encoded into the DNA of this church, the passage we're going to look at this morning. And in that passage, Jesus gives a comprehensive final. And it is a pass-fail. Final. I don't know if you knew this, but you are going to take a comprehensive final issued by Jesus himself one day in the future. You are either going to pass or you are going to fail. But here is the absolutely amazing news. Jesus tells us exactly what's going to be on the final. I wish my teachers were that chill, but that was not the case. There will be no surprises on this final. Jesus has gone out of his way to tell us exactly what is going to be on this final. If you have a copy of the scriptures, meet me in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, uh, here in a moment you're going to see the verses will pop up on the screen. You can follow along that way. And by the way, if you don't own a physical Bible like one of these, we would love to give one to you. Um, as our gift to you. Um, This is the word of God. It will change your life and we would love for you to have a physical copy. If you don't own one, just stop by the connection corner and um, we'll be glad to give one to you. Matthew chapter 25. And uh, we're going to start reading at verse number 31. Um. Here's what it says. When the Son of Man, this is Jesus, he's speaking and is speaking of himself. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, we've sang about that quite a little bit this morning, and all the angels with him, he, Jesus, will sit on his glorious throne. By the way, such a vivid reminder. That Jesus is coming back. There is a day in the future where the sky will split and Jesus will re-enter our atmosphere physically and visibly. Um, I, I love the language that's used. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. It says, when the Son of Man returns. 
Um, this is so sobering, by the way, for the moments when I am tempted to be lured into this thought that life is just going to keep moving as it always has. And I'm going to just keep pursuing my next five year goals and I'm going to lean into my 401k and things are just going to continue to move on the way they always have. No, there is coming a day in the future where history will be interrupted by the reentry of Jesus Christ into our world. And it says he will take his rightful place on his throne and he will begin the business of judgment and reward. He will start issuing his comprehensive final. This will be the final of all final exams. Again, a pass-fail exam. Pass and you move on into the happiness of ever after. Fail the exam. There is no doing it over. You don't have enough connections to repeat your life. It is what it is. Um, And when my wife and I were were processing, um, as we felt called to be part of the launching of this church, there were a, a number of key questions that we asked and that we thought through. Um, including questions about career. I know one of the questions that I, I, I wanted to answer was, um, man, in, in considering being part of a church launch, if this was the last career move I was able to make, would I still want to serve the local church? That, that was one of the questions that mattered to me. Uh, Another question that mattered was a question of geography. And the question of geography wasn't, was, is this the most exotic place to live in our world? That was definitely not the question. But the question was, if we were to leave the Warsaw area, would we feel like we had done everything we were called to do while we were here? I mean, yeah, career and move and comfort and what's more enjoyable for us. But but would we feel like, man, we had spent ourselves and done what we were called to do in the season of time in which we were here? Um, The third and probably the biggest question, which many of you have heard us talk about, um, whatever we are going to do next, Is this thing we feel stirred to something we would want Jesus to find us doing when he returns? Is this something we would want Jesus to catch us in the middle of spending our life's energies pursuing? Would we feel proud of what we would be doing if Jesus returned while we were doing it. When it was all said and done, um, we wanted to ask the questions that would matter most when it was all said and done. And so I remember like a lot of the thought, and we've been singing about this, was I wanted to evaluate today's decisions in light of the final exam, in light of the final analysis. We wanted to start with the end and then work our way forward from there. Is this what we believe will matter most when it's all said and done? 
um, what will matter most to Jesus when that day comes? Because the day is coming. And by the way, we hope that that's a question we'll continue to ask as much as we veer from that question on a daily basis. And we trust that that will be a question that each and every one of you perpetually asks. Will this matter when he comes back? Verse 32. It says, all the nations will be gathered before Jesus and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, there's been some debate about this passage, mainly because that's what theologians uh, love to do. But who are all these nations? Who are these people who will be gathered and separated by Jesus. Who are they? And um, here's the most important thing for us to know for the purposes of this conversation. You be there. And so will I. Uh, this is not describing something that's going to happen only to a unique group of people, but not to other groups of people. And I, I'll share why I think that here um, in a moment. Uh, but whoever else Jesus might be including, I think we can be fairly confident uh, we are going to be there. But at a minimum, whatever Jesus is doing here, whatever Jesus is saying here should matter deeply to us. Now, if you pressed me, like if you pushed me into a corner and you forced me to say, I'm kidding, you don't have to force me. I'll just volunteer this information. I, I think um, this judgment that Jesus is speaking of, this comprehensive final, I actually think, hmm, um, it will focus on the religious community. I think this judgment Jesus is describing will focus on the people who hang around the church. Um, uh, sheep were often used in the Bible to describe um, God's um, genuine, authentic People, the people belonging to God. And then God would describe himself as the great shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. So when this language of sheep is used, it's speaking about God's people, the people um, belonging to God. And even though the language would have been a little foreign to some of the surrounding cultures in the day of Jesus, it would have resonated with Jesus's audience, the people who were listening to him um, speak these words, because in their world, it's interesting, sheep and goats would sometimes get bunched together. Um, some of the native Palestinian breed of goat, they were funky. They, they, they looked so much like sheep in their size and in their color and in their shape <laughs> that they would just kind of blend in with the other sheep and to the naked untrained eye, you would not distinguish like, oh, that's a sheep and that's a goat. And you would mess around, end up eating like uh, goat chops, you know, 
thinking you were chewing some lamb and, you know, these goat heroes just because you weren't aware that there is actually uh, a difference between these two um, critters. And Jesus' meaning would have been very clear to them on the day that he judges from his glorious throne, he will separate the sheep from the goats. And all of a sudden, his meaning, I'm sure even in this room, becomes a little more clear. Because in the religious community, um, this is just true. In, In the church, after a while, everyone kind of starts to just look the same. We all just kind of blend into a big bunch called the church folk. Them religious folk, whatever. And we all just start to kind of use the same language. We all show up to the same, you know, events. We all rail against the same moral wrongs on on social media. After a while, we just kind of all... We just blend in. I mean, look at us. Right now, we're all gathered together. We sing the same songs. We're listening to the same words. Um, We share similar emotional sentiments about a variety of things. We kind of start to take the same shape and size and color, spiritually speaking, Um, Of course, we all made it to the seventh grade. We're all in elementary school and we look equally qualified to move on to high school until the comprehensive exam separates us. Until Jesus starts to make a few distinctions. Some of us are sheep and some of us are goats. But we may all look the same. And Jesus is saying, no, but on that day, some of us will show to be legit and some of us will not. And on that day, Jesus will expose the distinction, because he sees it. He's not just all them church folk. That's not how Jesus looks at us. He sees the clear distinctions that the naked, untrained eye might not be able to distinguish. And on that day, he will set the sheep who represent his true people on his right. And he'll put the goats, the lookalikes, on his left. But here's the reality. Every single one of us is going to get ushered in one direction or the other. Every one of us is going to be exposed as one or the other. It is a pass-fail evaluation. Verse 34. Then the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right, to the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, Prepared for you since the creation of the world. What incredible words to to, to come from the mouth of the king of kings. Come on and enjoy this paradise that has been prepared for you from the creation of the world. To those who pass, 
The ones Jesus considers authentic, he will invite them to take their place in this eternal paradise and experience happiness forever. And you can guess where the rest of the story goes. That those on his left, those who prove inauthentic, the the goats, Jesus sends to the opposite reality, eternal punishment to experience torment forever. Now, whatever else we think about this passage so far, can we at least agree this is a big deal? This final that Jesus is talking about, it's kind of a big deal. If you are telling me that happiness forever with Jesus is at stake, that has to be a big deal. In fact, I can't think of a bigger deal than what's decided on that particular day. Here's the question. How would Jesus decide? In other words, what's on this comprehensive final? What's on the exam? I love the fact that Jesus doesn't hide this information. And would you believe me if I told you this, this comprehensive exam comes down to one question. Put it up on the screen so you can see it. What did you do to meet the needs of the vulnerable? That's the question. Within the realm of your reach, what did you do to meet the practical needs of the vulnerable people you were aware of? That, that, what? No way. That's the question. Verse 35. Come on, sheep, enter this paradise prepared for you. Why? Because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. And you invited me in. You gave me somewhere to stay. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. In this scene, Jesus is using himself as a representative of the vulnerable person in their time of need. And he is asking the question, what did you do to meet the needs of the vulnerable? When you encountered hunger, people in your world struggling to put food on the table, what did you do about it? That's the comprehensive final. When you knew that they they, they, they they were wearing the same clothes and they weren't keeping them warm enough in these Indiana winters. And you were aware of that. What did you, 
what did you do when you knew that they were struggling to find clean water and it was affecting their health and you were aware of this? What did you do? Was it just another headline that you read in the paper? Was it just another statistic you became? What did you do? And he says, if you live the life of meeting those practical needs, you pass. And if you ignored those needs because you were too busy doing you or whatever else you were doing, he says you're a goat and you fail the comprehensive final. So maybe I should correct myself and say, there is coming a day when Jesus will issue the results of the comprehensive final, but the final is being taken now. Now, if you've grown up around the church uh, like I have, (laughs) um, this passage right now may be theologically troubling to you. Um, So let's just talk about this. Uh, This will matter to some of you. uh, To others, you may not have noted this. But wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. I thought you enter into eternal paradise. Not because of anything you do, but because of what Jesus Christ did for your forgiveness on the cross. And to that, all God's people, at least this one, said, Amen. Hmm. This exam is a proof of retention. That's what this exam is. It's a proof of retention. This is like Jesus saying, wait, you say you are seventh grader ready for high school? Yes. Okay, prove it. Prove it. You are not saved, church, by anything you do, but by believing in what Jesus has done on the cross. However, if you believe in what Jesus has done for you, it will show up in what you do for others. This is a proof of retention. What you do will prove what you believe. Man, listen to what James says. Uh, James says, James is Jesus' half-brother, uh, biologically speaking. Full brother, spiritually speaking. But this is what he wrote. Because his followers understood Jesus' teaching. James chapter 2 verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you claim to have faith, but you have no deeds? Can such faith save you? What do you mean? Well, let me give you an example. Verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace. God bless you. Keep warm and well fed and come to church. But does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if not accompanied by action, is dead. 
So you say you believe, prove it. He goes on to say, even the demons believe. But if you believe, prove it. If you have faith in me, you will prove it. That's what Jesus is saying by what you do about the needs of the hurting in the world around you. You will not be able to just keep living while people around you are struggling and people are suffering. You won't be able to just kind of move on with your life and do you. Not if you believe in what I've done and the way I interrupted your world in your time of great Need. This is how John, Jesus' favorite disciple, says the same thing. Again, the disciples got it. First John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus. He laid down his life for us. And we ought to then lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Whoa! This is so Bruno Mars now, like catch a grenade for each other, like, you know, like by train for each other. Like, this is weird. It's like, no, 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 let's simplify this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can you keep saying the love of God is in you? How can the love of God be in that person? No, I believe in the love of God. That's great. And here's how it will show up. And he says in verse 18, dear children, dear church, dear church. Let us not love with words or speech or theology or profound philosophy alone, but with actions and in truth. The final exam is Jesus asking What did you do to meet the needs of the vulnerable? Have you mastered the material? Have you just memorized a few facts? This is what always drove me crazy. In any context in which I taught, whether I was teaching in a high school class, or I was teaching a college class, or I was teaching a graduate course, there was always somebody who asked the question, is this going to be on the exam? know the answer to that question but i'm not answering you <laughs> because that that question is so often designed to tell me it's designed to tell me if um this is something i need to know or pay attention to or if i can just disregard it tell me when it's going to be in the exam and so i'll study that material this is a proof of of retention this is a proof of the mastery of the heart of God. Tell me which questions are going to be asked on the final so I can only pay attention to them and then I can just dial out for the rest of it. But this question is designed to expose, no, have I mastered the material spiritually? Have I really bought into the heart of Jesus? Did you know What you do to meet the practical needs of the vulnerable is of eternal consequence. Jesus is telling us ahead of time what he will ask on that day. About the hungry and about the homeless. um, And about those struggling in different contexts. 
And I also think, by the way, it's so interesting in this passage of Scripture, as Jesus lists these different people and the ways in which they're struggling, at no point does Jesus seem to pay too much attention to how did they get in that situation. That's one of the things the church likes to do to exempt itself. Well, but if he's in prison, though, he must have committed a crime. So maybe Jesus is like, no, he's in jail. What did you do? which I love the heart of some of the folks in this church who, who are dialed into the, the, the demographic that's either incarcerated or is coming out and is trying to reestablish their place in, in community. But Jesus is not asking those questions. Well, but they must have committed a crime, though. I'm like, come on, dum-dum. You committed so many crimes, which is why he entered into your world. To rescue from crimes. I love that Jesus doesn't give explanations or excuses for how people got into a place where they're vulnerable and in need. Um, and I've got to, to, to say something really quickly here. This is not just a practical question. I, I think this is also a very personal question. And if you listen to what Jesus is saying and you listen to Jesus' language... Jesus is going to ask this question in a very personal way. One of the temptations and one of the lures is for us to read a passage of Scripture like this and actually start to evaluate everybody else. Huh. Preach. I've had some needs, and these people haven't shown up to meet them. I've had some needs, and the church did not show up. Preach about it. They need to show up a little more. Can I just tell you, on that day, he's not going to ask you, hey, what did the church do for you? He's not going to ask you, what did other people do for you in your time of need? Some of us feel like we've had so much need, and that may be true, that it exempts us from seeing the needs of others. But Jesus is going to ask, no, I'm asking you personally what you did for the vulnerable in need in your world. Lest we start to excuse and exempt ourselves. From this final. Verse 37. Then the righteous, this is beautiful, so humbling, will answer him, Lord, we don't remember this. When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I love the surprise in the voice of the sheep. Like what? When did we do this? This is so humbling. This is so beautiful. Because to the sheep, to the genuine followers of Jesus... It was such an outpouring of who they were, such an outpouring of the love of Jesus poured into them that they're not necessarily keeping track and, and keeping count of all of the people they've helped so that it will show up in a paper somewhere or so that people would notice. No, these are people who just see need and they enter in and they don't even pay attention. I'm telling you, there are some of you sitting in this room and you will never stand on a stage and your face will never be on a billboard and you'll never be in a newspaper. But here's the reality. 
Jesus is dialing into the way somebody at work was crying and you just sat with them. And you're not even thinking much about it. It's just love boring out of you. You see the hurting and you step in. You see somebody in need and you just help. I've always wondered, like, how would these people not know that they did this? Because they're not counting. And it's when I stop counting that it actually starts to count the most. It's not so much about programs. It's not so much about, you know, you know d- doing things that, that are very strategically calculated all the time. In many ways, it's just about the outpouring of the heart. And I can't wait for the sake of some of you who, again, in this world will never be famous. You will never be known. But Jesus is paying attention and he cannot wait for that day where he says, oh, no, no. Let me remind you of some of the things that actually counted up here when it didn't seem like it mattered down there. The sheep are surprised. Like, when? And one of the reasons they're surprised is because of the words of Jesus. It's what you did for the least. It's what you did for that person who couldn't do anything for you. It's what you did for that person who would never talk about it. It's what you did for that person and it never showed up on social media anywhere. It's what you gave and your Venmo account didn't announce to everybody. I gave money to this person for their great need. No, it's what you did just living Life, and I love that. It's the most insignificant people in our culture. Those are the people like, yeah, we could help them, but how will that end up with publicity? And we could help them, but how is that going to circle back and help us? No, he's talking so, so beautifully about these folks who just started to live it out. Um, And then some sobering words. Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Those are heavy words. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing. You just ignored it. I was thirsty and it was just a statistic and a headline. And you did nothing. Gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in because it didn't feel safe. It was too risky. What if this stranger comes in and they hurt us, though? So let's, okay. Whatever your reasons, they also will answer. Uh, He says, I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least, the seemingly insignificant, the seemingly irrelevant, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The question was simple, but profound. And the question is being asked even as we live our lives now what did you do to meet the needs of the vulnerable um now as sobering a passage as this is i mean don't you feel uplifted as sobering a passage as this is i don't think this passage is designed to stir fear in us i think this passage is designed to set a fresh fire in us 
I think this passage is designed as a gracious gesture of invitation. Just pause and think about it for how gracious is Jesus to tell us ahead of time. And why would he tell us ahead of time if it's it's not his way of saying, come on, join in now. Start to live this way now. Be a part of this revolution now. Be my hands and feet now. This is one of the most incredible, incredible invitations. Jesus is telling us what he's about and what he's inviting us to be about. We should read a passage like this and say, I want in on this then. There's still time for me to start to ask these questions and lean in and start to live this way. Um, When we launched this church, this passage was deeply influential. We wanted to build and be part of a movement that lived with the end in view. And please know, we understood some of the cost of that. Like, we understood, like, we're going to get to this place where people are going to be like, um, I'm over it. Um, and um, I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's my thing, right? I mean, because just think about this morning, like, is this like, yes, we went to church and we're like, woo! I feel so happy. And, and it's, no, we did We knew that there would be a certain cost, but what mattered the most was, can we be a part of a movement with the end in view that invites people to say, listen, when it's all said and done, we promise you this is what will matter most. And we want to invite you to be part of what will ultimately matter the most, which is why this passage was so influential to us. Because we were asking the question, what do we want Jesus to accuse us of when he returns? What do we want Jesus to find us in the midst of doing when he returns? What do we want Jesus to have observed us spending the energies of our lives on when he returns? And it won't be about how many people sat in this room. Isn't it interesting that the final exam, Jesus is not going to ask, now tell me about Mission Point. How many people attended? That's not going to be a question. Now tell me about your social media footprint and your uh, YouTube followership. How, how was that? That's not going to be his question. Now tell me what y'all did for the hurting and the broken in the world around you. That will be his question. What did you do to meet the needs of the vulnerable? So, that is why we do love ops here at Mission Point. That's why we do love ops. It's our way of asking the question, who are the most vulnerable people and who are the people in greatest need in our county and what can we do about that? And so you hear us invite you to be a part of these love ups, not because we want to put on some fancy program. And, you know, man, Mission Point is unique in the fact that they do these things. No, we want to answer the question, what did we do for the hurting and the vulnerable in our community? And that's part of the reason we do love ops. This is why we have mission partners. 
Who are the most vulnerable populations in the greatest need around the world? And who are some of the organizations on the front lines of meeting those needs? We want to lock arms with them. We want to partner with them. We want to be a part of what they're doing in this world because when it's all said and done, that's what we want Jesus to accuse us of having done. This is why we have these mission partners that we do. Now, in the ways that matter most, Mission Point, we have some growing to do. And you're going to hear me talk about a couple of things, obviously, throughout the course of the year. Um, but bottom line, I actually, <laughs> I actually wanted to get up here this morning and say I am so encouraged. Um, there were moments last year where I felt so discouraged about so many different things. And as I've re-engaged the heartbeat of this church and this movement, I'm like, I was so discouraged by all the things that won't matter when it's all said and done. But in the ways that matter, I am so encouraged. I am so thankful to be a part of a church full of people who are asking the question, what can we do to help the hurting? And what can we do to help those in need? I am so encouraged. 2019, y'all, was a really encouraging year. And I just want to say, as one of the folks who gets to serve as a leader in this church, I believe Jesus smiled on 2019. Regardless of ways we were not great and we messed up and we have grown to do <laughs> Jesus was smiling over what he saw in some of our lives and in our life as a church. And I do just want to say thank you to, to those of you whose heartbeat continues to move in sync with that of Jesus. Thank you for those of you who give generously. Um, you literally allow us to do this very thing, to, to live the heart of Jesus in caring um, for the for the vulnerable. Thank you for those of you who actively engage um, in, in our uh, love ops. So those of you who engage with our mission partners and you encouraged them and you prayed for them and, and you supported them. It, it was such an encouragement to them and what they were able to do because of y'all and your buy into the heartbeat of Jesus is pretty beautiful. Um, it's been amazing to just hear uh, some of the different stories and some of the difference you all made in the lives, um, even of some of our mission partners. I was thinking about um, Agatas and, um, you know, one of our, our local partners and, you know, they use sports to share and, and show the love of Jesus with families in our communities. And one of the ways they do that is they put on these um, sports camps and they take these sports camps to different neighborhoods, uh, a lot of um, lower income neighborhoods to just show the love of Jesus. And while they're there, they, you know, they feed folks and they share the gospel of Jesus um, with folks. It's this beautiful thing. And um, um, 2018, they had two of these um, neighborhood pop-up camps. And um, last year, they had 19 of these suckers, man. Um, and thanks in large part to, to you all who helped put on, I think, probably um, 12 of those um, pretty insane. Uh, they were telling a story about one little girl in one of the neighborhoods named Heidi. And, you know, uh, she, she asked one of the leaders, can I, can I give you a gift? And the leader said, sure. And so she went home and she brought back a book um, entitled Seeking God. And inside she had written a note, please come back soon. We're going to miss you. And then she said, this little girl said, and yes, 
Now I am seeking God. And they were like, oh, I'm like, this is what it's all about. This is so awesome. And so thank you to those of you who've given in and poured into our partners. This is the kind of difference um, that they are able to make. I think of our friends with three strands. And um, man, some of you know Mike and Myra Taylor who um, are part of this movement to to provide affordable Christ-centered medical care in places where people just can't take care of themselves um, medically, and they want to do this with the poorest of poor. And um, man, they not only take care of their health, they feed these kids. I mean, check out this picture. Um, I mean, don't you just get the sense that Jesus is looking at this and saying, yep, that's what I mean. I'm smiling on on this. Man, pretty amazing. Uh, Mike was telling me a story about a couple of brothers and in fact, we have a picture of them. One is 12, the other is four. And um, when the four-year-old was born, uh, mom died in, in giving birth to this boy. And he was born, you know, with some medical concerns. And thankfully, they have a nutrition program. And this kid, for the last four years, has been on their nutrition program. I and mean, look at those cheeks um, this kid is, is sporting. Um, but man, they're in a vulnerable situation, and, and what are they going to do now in the absence of parents? And so, man, some of these folks have stepped in to say, we are going to help care um, for you guys. And I hear that, and I'm like, man, I was sick, and you took care of me. Um, I was hungry, and you did something about the least. These kids will never be able to pay back in some flashy way. But what a beautiful thing. And thank you for the ways that your generosity and your support of these um, organizations is so helpful. I think about Design Outreach, um, whose heart is to, I love the big heart of Design Outreach, to alleviate global poverty um, through sustainable technologies. And uh, one of the leading technologies is this thing over here, this um, life pump. Uh, It's a hand-operated water pump that now can go to places that could not access clean water and can dig deep enough into the ground and bring up clean water to save lives and to bring about health in these communities. In fact, in one of the places that they just visited uh, this past fall, they had put one of these pumps in four years ago, and it's been sustaining life, sustaining life. And these folks were so, so thrilled that they celebrated. And just when they went to visit, they threw a party in their honor, and they had a church service and they praised the Lord. And at that church service, by the way, they shared the gospel and offered Jesus to those folks. And 50 people gave their life to Christ on account of this gesture of love that is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. This is pretty unbelievable if you ask me. Oh, by the way, uh, thanks to your generosity, uh, Mission Point has sponsored one of these pumps that's going to go into an area in Haiti as soon as some of the turbulence in Haiti settles down. And because of you, we are going to be able to be part of bringing clean water to a place in Haiti that had no clean water before and lives will be changed and jobs will be made available and kids will be healthy. I love this. I was thirsty and y'all put a pump in the village. That's pretty cool, if you ask me. And we're just getting started. Um, We had mission partners last year. This next year, 2020, we have even more mission partners. But I'm going to stop talking and show you this video to introduce you to some of our mission partners. So check out the screen real quick. The need is great. As followers of Christ, God has made us responsible for caring for vulnerable people of all ages. Everywhere. When you support your mission partners, you're doing just that. 
By partnering with these organizations, you're feeding the hungry, providing fresh water, preserving and reuniting families, and providing education to kids who would otherwise go without. Meet your 2020 mission partners. Agatas uses athletics to provide opportunities for leadership, personal development, and real-life change through Christ. Their free athletic camps offer quality coaching, gospel teaching, and meals for hungry kids locally and internationally. All Things New exists to reunite families and provide hope, a fresh start, and freedom for women struggling with various addictions. They provide a safe environment and the life skills necessary to destroy old habits while fostering dependency on Jesus Christ, who makes all things new. Beloved Not Forgotten is committed to empowering and transforming the lives of child sex trafficking victims through housing, counseling, education, and unconditional love. Their purpose is to empower each child to reclaim their life and fulfill the good purpose that God created them for. Ends of the Earth Outreach is focused on reaching unreached people groups with the love of Christ, both internationally and locally. Internationally, they resource and equip church planters. Locally, they foster community and relationships that create opportunities to share the gospel. Katoa Project equips Kenyan youth who have been through traumatic experiences by providing therapeutic social services in a safe, Christ-centered environment. Katoa helps children work through their past so that they can move forward towards a healthy and successful future. Psalm 82.3 is developing a self-sustaining orphanage in Liberia. Their mission includes a 50-acre self-sustaining village with a church, a school, a care center for widows and elderly, a therapy and medical clinic, and 25 acres of agriculture for sustenance and revenue. Design Outreach desires to share the love of God by developing sustainable technologies that help alleviate global poverty. One major way they accomplish this is by providing safe, reliable, and accessible clean water through their invention of the life pump. Breath of Life works to empower the people of Haiti through education, while fighting high maternal and infant mortality by providing midwifery care. They strive to breathe life into the women, children, and community as they show the love of Christ through their work. NG4C serves to break the perpetual cycle of poverty in Canaan, Haiti. Through providing spiritual, physical, and educational nourishment to its children and families. Their school provides meals and a Christian education to over 245 vulnerable kids, while their mentorship programs, wedding ministry, and employment opportunities help preserve at-risk families. Three Strands provides compassionate, affordable, and Christ-centered medical care focused on both the physical and spiritual needs of the neediest people in the developing world. They maintain healthcare facilities in impoverished areas that educate, prevent disease, and treat everyone who comes through their doors. HSMS exists to be a change agent for future leaders in Haiti through education, discipleship, and community development. Their work focuses on transforming the heart, soul, mind, and strength of Haiti's children to lead the next generation. 
One such child is an adoption and foster care support group open to anyone interested in playing a role in foster care and adoption. OSC desires to care holistically for adoptive and foster families through training and education, while providing tangible and financial support. The Zambia Student Project is focused on providing scholarships to students in grades K through 12 to provide them with a Christ-centered quality education in Zambia. It's time to step up and take the responsibility that Jesus has given us. We invite you to be the miracle and join your mission partners by saying yes in 2020. Uh, I don't know about you, but this is what I want to be a part of. And let me just announce to you, this is more than just a place to attend. When you are a part of this movement, this is what we're inviting you to be a part of. And um, I would encourage you, even as you consider that, on your cards that you got, if you didn't get one, I would encourage you to get one on the way out so you can just relook and, and pray for um, these organizations and make it personal. Um, make it personal. When it's all said and done, the reason we have Love Ops and the reason we have these mission partners is to help each one of us to start to take steps into making this a lifestyle so that you would eventually get frustrated and say, like somebody said to me the other day, like Love Ops, like once a quarter, like what's that about? Like, well, I want to do this more often. And I'm like, that's success. Because these are just training wheels to help you to catch a heart, you know, the heart of, of, of Jesus and start to live this out personally. Because when it's all said and done, it's going to be about you personally. But we'll still invite you as a church, engage these. But beyond this, we would love to see what's the spirit stirring in you about these mission partners? What's the spirit stirring in you at your work or at your school? What's he going to let you see that is inviting you to personally enter into? So that on that day, we would be able to say, this is how we Lived. And so, man, we've done some things, but we don't want to stop now to be continued. So, Father, thank you so much for all that you have done for us. Thank you that when we were hungry, Jesus became the bread of life. That when we were thirsty, your spirit became the fountain of living water, a well inside our hearts. And when we were shackled and oppressed, Jesus became the chain breaker who set us free and he liberated us and he healed our sickness and he healed our diseases. Thank you for the invitation to now do for others what Jesus Christ has done for us. We thank you so much. Help us to continue to say yes and to live this out. What an honor in Jesus' name. Amen.